From Edge Radio 99.3 FM, this is an edit of The Dice Man Cometh, the podcast. The Dice Man Cometh! Good evening, everybody, and this is in... Dice Men Cometh. Oh, I can hear myself now. Well <laughs> oh, done. sorry. You didn't press the button. Good. Oops. Anyway, I, uh, I am Leon and I am here as I am with the OG Dice Man, Mr. Mark. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sans Garth this evening because he's, you know, you're just not worth his time, I'm afraid, people. But he just seems to be want to jet set around the world and not deal with you. He's which... just wandering off around mm-hmm. the world somewhere for yep. some travel agent thing. It's probably some end of financial year jaunt. Yeah. We lose excuse to spend money. We lose track of him on a daily basis, but at the end of the day, we don't really mind too much, to be fair. Uh, it is episode 267. Yes. 267 yes. on this, the 4th of July, 2019. And we are here, as we are every Thursday, to talk to you about all the board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, anything you can play on, around, or in a table. And tonight, we've got a few things for you. First, we've got Mark and his famous Kickstarter update. And we haven't done one in a while. And mm. as always, it is a big one. And we're going to ask ourselves a question. Just because a game is old and well-known, does it necessarily mean it is a classic? Mm. And Mark, you should know all about that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Maybe. <laughs> and then Leon. Yes. I'm going to catch you up on what you missed last week by getting your votes mm. with our magical little point system yes. on the Spiel des Jahres nominees yes. for 2019. Just one, Werewords and Llama, of course. And all the um, unofficial nominees, which I don't think we've played any of. All, no. the, all the runner-up ones. I don't even think we'd heard of half of them. Yeah. Bell Raddy, I think, was the oh, only yes. one Garth had played Garth at BorderCon, of course. Yes, indeed. Uh, um, BorderCon, we might... We might nearly not mention Bordicon outside of this intro for the rest of this episode. <laughs> Don't get used to it, people. We'll be mentioning it again next week, no doubt. But, yeah, which I thought was slightly odd. No way. So let's get to a break. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about that old classic. We'll uh, be back in a moment here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Hi, I'm Renee. Hello, I'm Anna. And, and we, we like, like to listen, listen to, to the, the Dice Men comment. Woohoo! Thank you, guys. <laughs> Here we are on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Men cometh on a Thursday evening. That was a little Tassie act called Men's with Demons or Demon. And uh, I know we didn't fight any demons. When we played Warrior Knights. No, very much could have been an expansion that never came out, though. Except, although Garth was a bit of a nasty yeah. person at times. Yes, but, you know, that's that's what he tends to do, and it just it tends to keep working out yeah, for him. I know. So I he's going to keep bloody doing it. Anyway, let's not, let's not spoil it. No. So. Yes. Warrior Knights. Yes. So, <clears throat> the kingdom is in chaos. The king lies dead without an heir slain by villainous hands. Will a leader rise up and rally the support of the people, or will the shadow of anarchy spread over the land? (gasps) Ooh, I know. So, Warrior Knights, published in 2006, all those years ago, back in the board gaming Dark Ages, which is any time before, like five years ago, Mm. basically, by Fantasy Flight Game, and an expansion, Crown and Glory, which came the following year. However... It actually originally was published by Games Workshop back in 1985. I know. You were jumping out of helicopters during that time, Mark? Actually, that was the year I joined the Navy, 1985. Ah, So you were looking at the helicopters going, oh, one day. Yeah, that's right. And I was two years away from being born. (laughs) Stop it! Anyway, and it was originally designed by Derek Carver, who, from his BGG listing, did not much else wow. after this, to be honest. Um, he had a hand in the newer edition in 2006, yep. along with a few other people. I believe uh, Bruno Feduti was one of them. Yeah. And a few other people as well. Well, a big name that I saw, obviously, was Corey Kanitska, who is yep. well known for... He seems to be that guy that I think when Arkham Horror came on board from being produced by a different company, he was involved in that. Mm -hmm. I think he was pretty much involved in... Did Fantasy Flight do Battlestar Galactica? Yes. I think he was involved in that. I yeah. think he may be involved with TI. He was he was the, he was the Eric Lang of Fantasy yeah, Flight exactly. back in the day when he had his exactly. hands in everything. And this is a game, like I said, in 2006. So if this came out, say, two or three years ago, with those names attached to it, it would have been quite a big deal. But mm. back then, they were just kind of not new up-and-comers, but they weren't as big as they are now. So the game itself is a 2-6 to six player, believe it or not. 
game that can take between two and four hours. So it is a long one. We yeah. play this on an epic game Sunday yes. uh, in, in Trent's Man Cave after a lovely barbecue that him and his uh, lovely partner knocked up for us. And most of these games that are really epic that last a very long time, the box, the time on it are kind of, I mean, they never get it right. Mm-hmm. However, I would argue if you take the rules explanation and set up a side to play it, two to four hours is about right. Yeah, I guess. Well, we by the time we finished and we had a surprise visit from yep. Georgia and Oren and little baby Marcy, yep. we didn't sort of start till three. And we finished at about 7.30 or something like that. Yeah, it? so like I said, you take the rules yeah. explanation out of it because that kind of got cut in half and then yeah. we were still doing that as we were going along. Yeah. Even though the game's not that complicated, yeah. is it? is a long game, so you need to kind of... Everyone needs to be aware of what's going on. You can't kind of, oh, let's just learn it on the fly an hour into it and go, oh, well, that's destroyed my whole game because I didn't realise that. Yeah, basically it's a strange, almost like a system of interconnected mini-games, isn't it? Yeah, its main mechanic is area control. Mm. uh, The heart of it is an area control game, but there's got some negotiation to it as well, Uh, like a lot of those games back in the day that they kind of give you some rough parameters. They say you can only swap these certain things, not yeah. these certain things, and, so, and either deals will be binding or not, depending on the situation, but you can kind of feel your boots apart from that. And also it's a kind of a war game as well because you're fighting each other. And sadly, I've actually written the word sadly here, it is a money management game <laughs> because money yes. is very scarce yep. and very, very important. Yes. So the way this game actually will work, so there's a big old board and you each have your... Uh, is it four? Is it generals or commanders that you barons? Play? No, you're a baron. Hang on, you're a baron. You send out your four. I think it's their commanders. Oh, your nobles or something like yeah, that. Something yeah, something like that. Yeah. Either way, you'll place them on the board. nobles. Yeah, nobles. nobles. Yeah, you'll place them on the board at various different places. One of them being your stronghold. Yes, and you'll have a map of kind of. Uh, Europe-ish. Yeah, it's a bit Europe-ish, isn't it? Yes. And some then, of the names are a little vaguely familiar. And then there'll be some some island nations you can go to as well from some of the port towns, but they're not actually involved in kind of the main chunk of the game, although they do definitely matter, mm-hmm. as we discovered. And so what, the main crux of the actual gameplay is that each round you have, uh, you have a hand of cards. Everyone has the same hand of cards, and you'll be using these cards to select actions to do. And they'll be things from, like, moving and attacking to gaining political strength, hiring mercenaries, gaining uh, religious faith, because, again, this is one of those games that there's lots of different kind of parts to it. There's also knowledge, which I believe comes from the expansion. Okay. I think Trent said. Yeah. I could be wrong, because we played with everything from the expansion and the base game put together. And that adds kind of a tech aspect to it, where someone can be the lead scholar and you can buy various different tech cards which upgrade your abilities. So you'll be playing different cards to let you do those things. However, the way it's going to work is that each round of this game, you will choose six of these cards, and everyone has the identical same cards in mm. their hand. There's probably, I don't know how many there is, probably about 15 yeah, cards or something like that. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, so each person will pick six of them, but then what you will do is you will pick two to go in the first section, two in the middle, and then two in the end. Mm. And then you will connect, you'll collect those cards from everybody that put them in the first section. So for us, there was four of us. We collected those eight cards. We added in two or three, I think, neutral cards, mm. which could have been some were positive, some were negative, some affected different things, and you shuffle them all together. So you don't actually know the exact order that these cards are going to be coming yes. out, which I think is really, really interesting yep. because it's got the strategy and the fact that you're picking what you're picking. However... It's thematic for the sense that if everyone is trying to, you know, take over this country and it is war, things don't go to plan exactly due to timing because you could have the best laid plan in the world and then you go, right, we're going to do that tomorrow. What was that? There's an army at my front door right now. Then things have changed. Yeah, it's the first really interesting decision point because, as you said, because there's three lots, Mm. you can guarantee that my first two actions are going to happen before the third and fourth and the fifth and sixth. Yeah. But that... Of the two that I put out, one might be the very, very first that comes out, and then one might be nine actions later. A lot of things can happen in nine actions. Yeah, and you have to kind of think, well, I definitely need to move, mm. but I can't move until I say I've collected some wages. I need that money before yeah. I can move. But it's just a matter. Are, are they going to come out that way? They could come out right at the end of the round when, well, I now have to move, but where I want to move to is just being taken yep. over by somebody else. So it's a really interesting decision. I think probably one of the biggest positives, I think, to the game is that idea, that mechanic, because it does keep things interesting from start to finish. Yeah, and I, I could see that there would be people that wouldn't like that because 
it adds a random element to your strategy. But yep. my, my counterpoint is well, you have to work out how to get your strategy to work with that random element there. I was going to mention that because yeah. it's random, however... It's controlled randomness. Yeah, yeah, manageable. So apart from those neutral tasks, which you have a rough idea of what they're going to be anyway, and mm. none of them are hugely game-breaking. Some of them might be, like I said, it'd be annoying or be helpful, but none of them are really going to destroy the entire game for you, I wouldn't think. Yeah. So you do have that kind of decision ahead of you. Uh, so the cards that when you play them, what you will then do, once you play the cards, other than the ones you have in your hand, which are called versatile, which have several different actions on it you can do. Yep. So they're the ones that they'll give you a couple of coins, or you can do a bit of movement, or you can do a battle, but you can't do anything really specifically really good, yeah. but tiny little good things. Those cards you will get back after they have been played out of that stack. They're so versatile. Exactly. And they may even be an expansion thing too, so I don't even know how yeah, the base sure. game would work without those. Uh, however, all the other cards you play... They don't come back to you. Mm. There's three little sections on the board that these cards will go to, and until they get uh, twice the amount of players, amount of cards on there, so for yep. us it was a four-player game, until you get eight cards on there, they won't then trigger that uh, what happens next and you get those cards back. So it is a card management system, but everyone's kind of in the same boat. Yeah, and then there's that another, again, interesting decision, is those three piles you've got, mm. if I remember rightly, you've got assembly... Yep, you've, you've got, got taxation. Yep. And you've got wages. Yes. And so taxation is where you get money. Yes. And you collect basically income. But then wages is where you pay your armies. Which and is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then um, assembly is when you're voting for these laws. And I'm sure you'll come to that bit in a minute. Yeah. But just the decision of a lot of those cards, you get a choice of which of those piles you want to put the card and therefore which thing you want to trigger first. So. I know for me, a couple of times, you know, I'm, I'm normally Mr. Nice Guy, but <laughs> I, I could see... You weren't this day. I could see that quite a few of you guys didn't have a heap of money. No. But you did have a heap of armies. Yes. And if wages happened to come before taxation, mm -hmm. you might have a bit of a money problem. Yes, which a few of us did. And actually, the last round of the game, which by that time, it had kind of come down to a two-horse race <laughs> between you and Garth, sadly. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, yeah, so I had a massive army, which I had all plans for, but then I got to the end and went, oh, realistically, even though this game took a long time, it's... I didn't really do that yeah. much. And I had these big armies that I couldn't really do that much with. So, yeah. But as I said, and there's also when you're doing uh, hiring mercenaries, you'll put these, uh, a token of your own on a mercenary track. And once that gets filled up, uh, then the mercenaries, you, that will trigger and then you have a little auction uh, round-robin round auction to see who wants to buy certain mercenary things. So you've got four things on the board that could trigger yep. depending on how much people use these different kinds of cards. So as you said, you've got um, the collecting taxes, which is when that triggers the taxation phase, everybody collects money from the board for how many various castles they have and yep. various different things. And the ones overseas are the ones that will give you the buco bucks. They will give you the big, big money. Yeah. Which you discovered you're the reason why you had the most yes. money at the end of it because you had those um, those ports, essentially, yeah. in things like Alexandria and stuff that are away from the main section of Europe. Yeah, although it was an interesting trade-off because they were a little bit harder to get to because it took you yep. more moves to get there because, effectively, you had to go to a port, you had to sail over to the other port, then you had to go to the city and you had to fight and get in there yeah and sometimes they were a bit tough and they were they were quite tough but yeah the once you got in there the income was a lot higher with those and you've got four nobles as well as i said so they're the four nobles you got moving around the board and you could argue that once of once one of them goes overseas that's pretty much the game yep. for them nearly because yep. they either have to protect overseas or they're probably going to move to another port and try and take over yeah. another town overseas. So that kind of diminishes what you can do on the main board. And and you didn't mention, I don't know if you're going to come to it, but the whole the, the thematic thing of if your noble and his army don't stay in a city yep. and they move out and go somewhere else, there's a chance that that city might riot or mm -hmm. revolt, which yeah. means you could actually lose control of that city or even maybe just got to pay a bit of money or a bit of faith. Yeah to keep that city under control is, again, another little interesting mechanic. You can't just go wandering around, capture everything and then leave it behind. Yeah, there's a whole lot of different me mechanisms in this game kind of all working together. Mm. Uh, as well as, I said, the flip side of that is when you have got the... You f have to pay all your workers, which is... 
Oh, during the wages oh, phase, yes. which is where all the mercenaries that you've hired, and even your own men, which you always have to pay first. Mm-hmm. You have to pay them first, but if you can't pay them, they just kind of get disgruntled, but it's not the end of the world. <laughs> but if your mercenaries can't get paid, yep. they're mercenaries. They go away. They go away, which can be very, very bad, because the way the reason why you want to have a bigger army is because the way battles work in this game, which oh, is this the, is brilliant. The, this is the kind of the crux of this game, is that the battle system is that when you go into any battle, it isn't like, oh, I have 400 because it's by hundreds in this game as well, by hundreds, by soldiers. So if you go into it going, I've got 400 soldiers, this town has 100 soldiers, I win. That's not how it works. So the way it works is that that's how many cars you will be drawing in this battle. About 400? No, four <laughs> per hundred. You'll yes, be drawing yes. four because it is based on these deck of cards called faith cards. And now these cards are used for about 10 different things in this game. Yeah. Lots of different things will come up that during, mainly on those neutral events, will say things like whoever is the leader of the church, which is the person that has the most faith tokens. Uh, you get to make a decision, but you to pick your opponent, you have to pick over the flip over the faith card, yeah. whatever army's on there, that's the person you're targeting. As well as there is a, another section of the game from those neutral cards where you can send people out to uh, missions in faraway ports. That's such an awesome section, To to go spice trading. (laughs) And it takes several turns to do it, but it can be a big return. However, those ships might never come back and you might not get anything. And again, those faith cards will tell you, yep, you went on this successful voyage to China and you've you've made three times your investment back. Or your ship was lost at sea, it was never seen again. (laughs) Uh, Which is an an interesting idea. Just to add, again, like one of the many different little mini-games you're playing. So when when you're playing these battles, you've got, right, okay, I've got these cards in front of us. I'll get to draw four cards, they'll get to draw one. However, out of those four cards, or any battle that you're in, the you'll always put two cards back. Mm. You'll get to look, if you've got 300, you'll look at three cards and you'll have to put two of them back in every battle, but that's because the nobles always have a 200 strength, but they don't add, they just add strategic elements. Yeah. That's the way that it works thematically. They're not actually adding their strength to a battle because they're just one person. Their brain is worth yes. 200 troops. Exactly, and that's the forethought of what's going to happen mm. in the battle. So the various different things that are going to be in the battle is that you're either going to defend some of your troops which means, you know, they could so stop them from being killed off or you're going to try and kill off other people's troops. And in a city that doesn't have somebody else's army, you know, you want to try and wipe them out to gain that city. But what you also want to do is possibly draw some other cards, which do some various other things. But the main thing you want to do is actually get victory. Yeah. You'll get these, just, you'll just on the faith card, we'll say the word victory or one victory point. So you could go, okay, I'm going to, to go attack and go attack, 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 attack. If the other person puts in a victory... Even though they've decimated your army, they will win the battle. So it's a very interesting system in that kind of way. Yeah, it's not all about the numbers. And then the other thing is you don't necessarily want to beat them up too badly, particularly when you're taking over, say, a neutral town, because you actually do damage to the town, which then you have to pay to fix later on. Yes. It's sort of like you want to wander in and say, hey, guys, I'm really awesome. Lay down your arms and we'll just be friends and I'll just take some money every now and again. But otherwise, it's all good. Um, That actually works in this game. Yeah. So they've thought of lots of different things. And during the game, you can do things like you can garrison your towns. Even when you're not there, you can put a certain amount of troops Mm. in there. But again, you're going to have to pay for those troops, (laughs) which when Mark keeps bumping up those cards, (laughs) because there are certain cards that when you play it, you get to choose which of those piles it goes into. You get to choose, oh, do I want to put it in to make the parliament go quicker or the taxation go quicker and depending on your game strategy you could be like mark and go i'm just going to put it into wages every time and make all these guys pay money because i've got a good income but they don't yeah um so then the final thing before we kind of talk about the game itself and its expansion and what we thought of it um is the parliament yes so when you trigger so there are three uh kind of decrees on the side of the board that when a parliament triggers you're all going to be voting with um the various influence you've gained throughout the rounds to to see if these pass and they're going to affect the game from here on in and they're lots and lots there's a massive stack yeah, a huge of huge pile so for replayability wise this is one of those things where you might play four or five or more of this game and again four or five hours of a game mm. and not see the same ones twice so they're things like some of them are a lot of them target a specific baron so you have to vote okay i think mark should have this or i should have this and generally even though you can kind of make deals and alliances, most of the things that come out are good, you probably want to focus on yourself. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you think, well, I haven't got the tokens, I know I won't get the support, but 
I know, say, Mark definitely can't have this based <laughs> off the way his army's going. Yes. We have to try and give it to somebody else. So, again, the talking, the strategic and the deals that can be made, and then you kind of have to go from there. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, Another fascinating part of this game for me is that you've you've effectively got four currencies, haven't you? Because you've got your money, yep. but then you've got your faith, yep. which is little tokens. Yep. You've got your wisdom, it's called, which is like little tokens. Yeah. And then you've got your influence, which is again little tokens. So, whoever has the most faith when the when the card triggers and says whoever has the most faith, that person becomes the head of the church, and they get this little church mace thingy yes and it gives them certain power when cards trigger yep whoever has the most wisdom they get this quill and they get bonuses and things to buy these wisdom cards as you said they're sort of like tech upgrades yeah and then authority they're they're things that you use to vote in the assembly Mm -hmm. at the start of each assembly you sort of get some tokens yep but what we mostly found was the person who had bothered to play the assembly cards and most of the time was garth yep had basically had more votes and really could choose what laws they wanted to pass or who they wanted to get those certain uh, titles and charges or whatever they were. Yeah, so you can essentially steamroll it if you have enough tokens yourself and then go from there. And they're only little things, but they can really affect the game depending on if it goes really well with the strategy that you've got. Hmm. And so there's three of these each time that it triggers. And it only triggered for us what, three times, yeah. two times throughout the whole game? So it's not much, but it can happen. But one really cool thing that you can do, which none of us did because it didn't really matter at the time, <laughs> is that you can just flat out refuse and say, I'm not obeying this rule. Shove your parliament! Yeah, so if a card comes out that says, like, every round everybody loses, say, two money, and it's a thing that somehow it passed because some people thought, oh, this would be good, you know, I'll <laughs> screw my... fun. But if you then decide as one of your characters, you can kind of go, right, I can just deal with this and then the next time we have a parliament, I'll be in there and make decisions. Or you can just go, nope, I'm not obeying that rule, yeah. which means you don't have to do it. Yeah, you basically get barred from, yeah. from turning you'll, up. you'll get barred from going into the parliament next round, even though there are ways in the game that you can be brought back in mm. by various means. But those negative things that, sh- that should be affecting everybody, you can say, nope, and they just don't affect you. Yeah. It's kind of like the equivalent of politics when they say, like, there's going to be a tax hike, and you as just the normal everyday citizen just go... I'm just not going to pay it. Yeah, no. And you go, and they go, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> well, then you don't get to vote in the next election. Like, yeah. All right, sure. Enough. <laughs> no worries. So, again, this game is kind of five or six different little mini games mashed yeah. in together. So, I'll just quickly mention the expansion, which we did play with, so it kind of feels like the base game to us. Yeah. But the expansion itself, which came out a year later, it adds um, different actions and provides things like for the mobility and the versatility, as well as the garrisons to help defend your city, uh, town levies that can support your army, specialised mercenaries. So in the base game, I think the mercenaries came out. They're all of different kinds. Like there was like the, the English mercenaries yeah, Swiss, and the Swiss and things Lombards, like that. Lombards, Romanians. And certain cards would come out saying things like, if you have any English soldiers, they are you know extra happy, you don't have to pay them, yeah. or they're really mad, you have to pay them extra, things like that. Uh, this one brings in specialised ones, which are things like generals, which yeah. don't have as many troops to them, but they have special abilities, yeah, nice. which you always want in any game, more special abilities mm. for everything. Um, a larger fate deck for, for bigger and better battles. Again, the fate deck was humongous and various other things. But it also adds the crown. Yes. So what this is going to be, because the whole point of this game is that the person at the end of it with the most victory point is going to be crowned king of the land. But in this expansion, it actually goes, okay, we're going to have that happen, but then the game's not going to end. Mm-hmm. You're going to have at least another round after that. So it gives you a certain number of influence. I believe it's four then times the number of players. Yep. So we, once you get near that number it'll trigger that someone will become the king, the person that has the most influence. And then the next round, which is when the game will probably end, because you're normally near the end of the victory point pile, they will get more influence. And the last round is kind of a big gang up on them, which we tried to do to Garth. And for some reason, it just sadly failed miserably. But but, but there you go. So that's the game itself, Warrior Night. Anybody that's just listened to everything that I've said, Again, apologies, that took a while, but it's a big game. This game is constantly compared to Twilight Imperium Mm -hmm. in many ways because of the lots of different facets of it, because it's a big epic game, both from Fantasy Flight Games, both been around for a very long time. However, at the end of the day, there's very little on BGG about Warrior Knights. The The actual page from 2006, and I said there was one expansion just the one year later, and then that's it. 
And I've seen Trent with a copy. I don't think I've ever seen another. I think I've seen one sitting on a shelf at Bordercon. Other than that, I don't really ever see it well, anywhere. There are, just as an indication, there are three videos for this game, yeah. one of which is in Spanish. Yeah, there's... Um, I mean, one of them is shut, uh, uh, shut... Shut up and sit down. It was one of the very first games I think they did yes, a review from, for from seven years ago, yeah. and and it, they loved it, and they loved it, and but yeah, so that's worth a watch. But it's it's nowhere near like what their videos are now, and it's <laughs> also definitely the, learning. You know, there's not a decent how to play, which would be a bit of an epic, yeah. But it certainly is tricky. Now, look, we had a bit of a discussion on the day. The thing is, it is an older game. It is. It does take some time, and I found myself wondering, is there a way with modern mechanics to perhaps speed it up and still get the same experience? Now, one of the things was when you move, if you move along a road, you can move your Noble 3. Yep. But if you don't move along a road, you move one step. Yeah, which is so, so little. Like I said, there, I had one or two Nobles that just didn't move nearly the whole yeah. game because you've only got six actions per round. And it's not like, even though it's a long game, we still probably realistically yeah. only played... Ten rounds, maybe? Not even that? Yeah, no, I don't reckon... I, I was thinking it was like six, maybe. Yeah. But then I guess you could counter that argument with, well, you could make the movement faster and make the board bigger, which I guess is what a, maybe a lot of more uh, modern games do where you feel like you're moving fast because mm-hmm. you're moving three or four or five spaces, but in reality the board is big. And the, this board isn't that big. I mean, for a big, massive game like this, the board was actually quite a reasonable size. Yeah. So I... I don't know whether, you know, that movement mechanic could be streamlined. We also discussed the whole journeys to the to the far-off lands where yep. you invest money and it may or may not come back. Now, in our game, one of those, I think there were three or four times where those voyages triggered yep. where you actually send off stuff, but only one of them actually got finished. Did it? Yeah, the China one, and it was, it was all your ships are lost, so no That's one got right. nothing. And... Like, I get it thematically. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, yeah, it's just a little thing you do on the side where, yeah, I might send some money off and who knows what's going to happen. It's it's a pretty long shot. I guess that was sort of what happened back in the, yeah. the day where it was like we send these people off to find this mystical southern land and we never heard anything more and then maybe 10 years later we send another person. Yeah. However, somebody could have played a version of this game where that came into play a lot, mm. where it happened a lot more and it changed the, the swing of the game quite a bit, which is something I'm going to get to, or might as well get to okay, it now, yeah. is that this is a long game, as we said. It's an epic game. Mm. And because of those fate cards which decide everything and you know those various different ways how you make those stacks of actions in every turn, a game that is this long that's that random... Is that necessarily a good thing? I don't... I mean, I said, it's controlled randomness because you can kind of figure it out, but the amount of things like one fate card could come out that it could decide a whole battle in a game that's three or four hours. I talked years ago that when I first got into the hobby, everyone said about how good um, Battlestar Galactica was. Yes. I played it, and again, this is a long, long game. It was about four hours, Mm -hmm. and there was four or five of us. But right near the end of it, we had something where I think about three... I can't remember how the game works. It's been so long since I've played it. However, basically three turns, the equivalent yeah. of turns in a row, were the three biggest attacks of like Cylons that yes. could happen in the game, and the game was over. You get that. And I was like, that could have happened ten minutes into the yeah. game, and it happened four hours in. That should not happen in a long game. And there are various moments in this because of those fate cards which that can happen. So I think that's a kind of an older thing. That, that was probably in the game back in the 80s that a lot of games probably wouldn't touch these days. Well, even the um, so the, the faith in being master of the church, when you get to decide, because there, there were cards in a, another, was a, diff- a separate deck, I can't think what it's called, that had different coloured backs, red ones, green ones, and I think the neutral ones were purple or brown. Uh-huh. And it's basically a case of if it's a good one, and you can see that by, you know, the back of the card. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The... Let's call him the bishop. The bishop can decide if he is willing to pay one or two faith, he can do the good one because he knows that's going to work for him. Mm -hmm. But if he can't pay the faith, he has to pick someone else to have it. And likewise, if a bad one is there, if he pays faith, he can uh, assign it to someone else. Whereas if he can't pay faith, he has to take it himself. That's... Some of those, particularly the negative ones, some of them were pretty bad. One of them was like, I think, to someone like lose half your money yeah. or something like, which is like that was that could nearly be game over. Yeah. I think in the situation, it happened to Garth and he had like two bucks left. 
But if that happened to me at the time, because yeah. early in the game I was money rich, as anybody that knows me, I, in the first 10 minutes, <laughs> Leon will always be winning, but he'll never last to the end. So, yeah, to have it, I guess, to have a mechanic where, sure, it's a strategy to go in, become the person in charge of the church, so you can make those decisions... But it, it, as you said, it's very swingy. Yeah. It's, the randomness and the swinginess, the two of those things together, I'm just not sure about. Yeah, so we've got to wrap this up. So yeah. the final kind of thoughts of it, at the end of the day, this has been around about the same time as uh, Twilight Imperium. Well, yep. a bit longer, actually. But Twilight Imperium's had four editions, mm. and there's a reason for that yep. because it is it is a better game and it is, it's kind of much more interesting. And at the end of the day, the time it took us to play this, you could have played... El Grande and Kemet. And Kemet has a lot less mechanics going yeah. on, but Kemet is a refined version of this. And El Grande, from the worker placement and area control, is a refined version of half the mechanics as well. Mm. So those two games put together, you could play in the same time, and they're vastly superior games. That being said, at the end of this game, when we said, yeah, there are some things that work, some things that don't, and it did seem like it was taking forever, even though we were doing stuff, but it didn't seem like it was taking forever. Yeah, it feels like it moves along at a glacial yeah. pace. But... I must admit, at the end of it, I was like, I could play it again, though. Yeah. I could play. And now, especially now that I know the rules, yep. we could all sit it down and go, I could give that another crack. So it's worth a try, yeah. and it may be worth, worth multiple tries. But, like I said, if you have a choice between playing this and, say, an El Grande Comet, or even a Cyclades, or even a Twilight Imperium, I can't recommend it over yeah. those ones. I think you're right. I think with the right group of players where you don't mind investing the time, you don't mind that swingy randomness to really shake things up, it's definitely worth a crack. Got to give a shout-out to Universal Head yes. and his absolutely amazing rules compendium sheet that he has made up, which really makes this game much easier to learn. Well, we played with that, and I don't think this game actually has a player aid. And the idea of playing this without a player aid yeah. is mind-boggling. So, yeah, that is an absolute must as well, which is kind of a fault of the game that that wasn't in there. But, you know, again, 13 years ago was a long time ago. There you go. You know, look, that's Warrior Knights. Have a think about it. It might be for you. We're going to come back, and Leon is going to tell us what he thinks is going to win the Spiel des Jahres 2019. Back in a minute. This is David from Grail Games saying, The Dice Men cometh. I've only paid me $5 to say they're the best Aussie podcast ever. We'll make it 10. They're the second best. No, the best. With future anxiety on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with The Dice Men cometh. Now, Leon, I'm sure you have not got any future anxiety about what's going to win the Spiel des Jahres 2019 because you've worked it all out. I certainly have. And at the end of the day, we're all winners, aren't we? <laughs> but... I mean, and, yeah, and I mean, I think there's one of these that definitely shouldn't win, but the other two, if either of them won, I'd be quite happy because okay. I'm quite a big fan of both of them. So we've got Llama, Just One, and Werewords. And now, uh, you sent me in a text that the categories I had to assign numbers to, and I've kind of mucked that up. So <laughs> we don't have to actually go on the specific <laughs> no, numbers no, here fine. compared to you and Garth. However, we can say that Llama is definitely the bottom of the barrel. Yep. Again, it's not a bad game, but we're literally talking that all the categories, we're talking fives, we're talking sixes. Yeah, it is middle okay. of the road. But the thing is, as I've said before, it, you have to compare games to other games because you can play other games. And Llama is sitting in a world where, no thanks, Red 7 and Uno exist. Mm -hmm. And it is not as good as those three games. Uh, then you Not as good as Uno? Well, pro possibly better, yeah. but, but compared to the other yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then so we've got Just One and we've got Werewords, two mm. games that I've uh, been very, very positive on. Um and will continue to be mm -hmm. so. Uh, I can tell you, though, that I did add up the numbers that I have here, and then even though you just showed me the category that I forgot to add numbers <laughs> to, and then I thought about that, I can tell you that I believe it happened between you two as well. It's dead even. Wow. Points-wise, I've got them at a pretty much as a dead head. So. I think we had them like only one or two apart, the two main contenders. Yeah, because there are things like, I'm like originality is kind of like, Just One's probably more original than Werewords, obviously because Werewords comes from Insider and there's a whole story about that, which yeah. I will cover at some point because it's very, quite interesting. But then there are a few other things that Werewood does slightly better than Just One. Yeah. Like, um, so you kind of go from there. So they are even in my book. However, that is from a technical what I think is better game kind mm -hmm. of thing. From an actual Leon perspective, I enjoy Werewords a lot more, okay. mainly because the replayability is infinite. Yeah. But then again, Just One could be as well. You could make your own cards for that. and But you just need more people for Just One. And I just, yeah, because I like Werewolf quite a lot, yes. and social deduction, that's probably where I handle Werewolf. Okay. That being said, 
My pick for what will win is just one. Okay, well, that was the same as Garth and I. Yep. Although Garth did throw in right at the end that he actually thought, even though he thought just one deserved to win, yep. just over where words, he actually thinks yeah. that Lama is going to win because of the good Dr. Knizia. Who has not won yet. Well, no, he's won a couple of times. I oh, know, that was but, the other well, one. Yeah, so. yeah, that was uh, Stefan Feld. Yes. He has won a couple of times, but not for a while. Yeah. I mean, he's got such a pedigree, but... You know, like we said for Stefan Feld, if he's going to win, let him win it for one of his good games, not for one of his yeah. okay games. It's the equivalent of the, the Leonardo DiCaprio finally getting the Oscar for yes. The Revenant, and you go, yeah, that was about the 20th best performance yeah. of his career, but, you know, he needed to get one. So there you go. Okay. Well, look, what we'll do, we'll we'll because we've got lots of Kickstarter to do, is we'll get stuck into the Kickstarter, we'll probably take a little break halfway, and then we'll come back and do the rest. What do you think? Grand. Okay. Now, uh, this week on Kickstarter, there's quite a few little Australian projects. Strangely enough, two projects in Australia for game mats. Hmm. So the first one is Hyper Viper Game Mats by Hyper Viper Games from Sydney. Yep. Um, what they're selling is three millimetre thick neoprene mouse mat style mats. Um, with lovely stitched edges and lots of gorgeous designs. Now, one of the things that's very attractive about this is their Azul mat, where they've actually made it so you can play Azul on it. It's got very much Azuli art, but it, it, it actually, I think, if you loved Azul, it would really add to the game. Then there's another one for Flick 'em Up, which is like a Western street town scene and then there's some sort of random pictures and when these ones they start at now they've got a few different designs and sizes they start at 77 dollars, including shipping for a 90 centimeter by 90 centimeter or for us old school three foot by three foot mm-hmm. or a hundred dollars in including shipping for 120 by 90 or four foot by three foot now this one has 22 days to go it's only around 25 percent funded uh. and actually I can't remember his name, but the dude from Hyper Viper was actually on the one of the Facebook board game groups today saying, hey, can anyone tell me why things aren't going so good for me? Yep. I thought it would be really great. And, of course, everyone, including me, was saying, have you thought about advertising on the Dice Men Cometh? Because <laughs> everyone listens to those guys. Yeah, and you can. Just got to email us at uh, dicemencometh.gmail.com. That's right. But seriously, everyone was talking about, you know, you've actually got to market the project yeah. and you've got to market it before it goes up on Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. Because you can't just throw something up on Kickstarter and, and imagine that everyone's just going to find it. There's very few times that I've gone, oh, I didn't think this was coming at all yeah. because people interested in the hobby normally know, like, you know, this is coming up and coming up soon. Yeah, so anyway, if you're into game mats, you can check that one out or you can check out Aurora Game Mats from Three Mates Games in Perth. Now, the difference, I guess, with them is they've got art from the Australian game artist James Churchill. Uh-huh. You might remember him from Australia ah, and yes. the Manhattan Project too. So, gorgeous art. Now, they've got a 90 by 60 centimetres for seven $77, plus shipping for $25. So theirs is a little bit more expensive. I guess they've got maybe the nicer art. Funnily enough, they both launched on the same day, so they've both got 22 days to go. Yeah. Now I've got to say they're only 7% funded, so... Yeah. That may not happen. See, it's kind of hard with playmats because also yeah. a lot of the time they're, they're unofficial and a lot of people, some people won't touch things that are unofficial, mm-hmm. which is, you know, each to their own, sure. But also at the end of the day, like for my, say, my Marvel legendary playmat that I, I have a friend, uh, Josh, oh, yes. who is an excellent, amazing graphic designer, and I just sent him uh, a template from a, a site that makes playmats. And I said, can you put this image on it? And he went, yep, give me a minute. I'll knock up some yeah. stuff. And it is amazing. And it, it is cost so brilliant. Me, it cost me next to nothing. Yeah. So, you know, you've kind of got the two different camps of some people that wanted to put in no effort, some people that are put, yeah. willing to put in a bit. And they kind of, yeah, they beat out people that are just offering it in front of them, and sadly. I, think th- I, I haven't got the details this week, but there's also another one called Game Toppers, yep. which is on there at the moment, which is an American one where they, I think they actually add a whole like tabletop bit to the top of a normal table. Yes. And then you can add mats and things. So, there. look, there's a lot of options. I have been thinking about getting a game mat. 
I actually even had a thought about running a Kickstarter for game mats because I started to do some pricing. I think with these, though, is these are manufactured in Australia, and I think that's what makes them expensive. Yes, because yes, because it's not cheap here, sadly, and at the end of the day, then shipping is going to... The yeah. issue is if you want to manufacture in China, yeah. you need to be making Huge a 1,000 yeah. rather than a 100. Anyway, it's, it's complex. Yes. If you're interested in game mats, there's a couple of things you can check out. Now, our old friend Wade Dyer from Melbourne, he of the Fragged RPG, yep. he's got more source material. He's got three source books, one for each of his three settings. So he's got Fragged Empire, Fragged A Tournament, Fragged Kingdoms, and he's got one source book for each, which is just a lot more material about the the setting, the characters, everything like that. And, of course, if you love your role-playing games, you always want more material. Yep. He's got PDFs and hardcovers available with his usual incredible high standard of content and art. He's got 23 days to go. He's almost there at 77%, which is... Well, that's funded, basically. Well, and he's raised... I mean, not just 77%, but he's raised 43000 yeah. of his 55000 So, again, Wade is knocking it out of the park. And the simple fact is, as someone who's only got into RPG playing in the last few years, anybody that can compete in the RPG market that's not just making content for Dungeons & Dragons, yeah. that, you know, then just saying the word 5e, even though we know what they mean, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's doing, doing it and doing it well... Absolutely good on him because I know for a fact at the moment I don't really look at any other RPGs because I'm so enthralled with D&D. The fact that he can lure new people and older gamers alike to it, he's doing something well, so good on him. He's doing a great job. Another guy who is doing a great job and another friend of the show is Alex Winter and Red Genie Games. They've got the Damsel's Tale. Um, So this is a cute two-player asymmetric game where a speedy, freaky knight (laughs) is racing to recover a crown from a dragon's lair. Now, we actually got a very, very early prototype copy of this quite a while back and Garth and I played it a few times we had quite a bit of fun and it is certainly one of those games where because it's so quick only about 20 minutes it's like yep set it up again go again now look he is struggling a bit he's only just over a third of his 15,000 goal does still have 21 days to go, so it's not too late. And it is, um, I haven't got the price here for some reason. What is it? It's only 30 or 40 dollars, 32 Australian, which there you go. US is about a fire. Yeah. And I remember you guys playing this, and as always with Alex and the crew that he has with him, uh, it, it looks awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the first game in the Tinderbox Tales. So remember the Brigade, yes, of course, the firefighting game, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. We loved it. That's set in the town of Tinderbox. Well, this is one of the first, the first of the Tinderbox Tales series. So the same sort of setting. Really interested to see where he goes from that. But this one is definitely worth checking out. As I said, it does need a bit of help with 21 days to go, but you've got a bit of time. So check out The Damsel's Tale. One more Aussie one. Look, I'm never sure about golf games. This is called 18 Holes. Yep. Uh, a golfing strategy board game. It's from first-time board game designers Seabrook Studios in Melbourne. Again, they've only hit about 16% of the 25,000 thereafter. Um, still got 23 days to go, but as I said, look, golfing games are so well-suited to computers and consoles and things. Yeah. I just have never really found a great golfing board game. Look, it looks like they do really great art, and they're obviously, I think they're an, an, a graphic art or a computer game design studio, so yep. it, it looks fantastic. If you're into golf, if you're into these sort of games, if this, what I've said, piques your interest, then go and check it out. That's 18 holes. Yes, indeed. Okay, now we will take a quick break, uh, just time for a quick song, and then we'll come back and talk about a few more Kickstarter projects. <laughs> Hello everyone, your friendly neighbourhood Leon here. Just a quick break in the action to remind you all on how the fun ways you can support the show. You can jump on over to Patreon where you can donate, which has helped us over the last five years, get to great conventions all around Australia and hopefully internationally. You can give as much or as little as you like. Personally, I would ask, maybe just give us a dollar. I give to about 12 different podcasts a dollar a month. I don't even notice that it's gone, but trust me, they know that it's in there, and if everyone listening to my voice right now gave us that dollar, we would be much, much appreciative. Also, you could jump onto Redbubble and type in Dice Men Cometh and get any kind of merch there that you're after. You can get t-shirts, you can get hoodies, you can get mugs, you can get stickers, any type of size, colours, anything you want. We've been doing them for years, and they are absolute quality. 
Also, you could go over to iTunes and chuck us a cheeky five-star review. It doesn't seem like much, but it is the reason how we get our podcast out there to international listeners especially, because those charts put us ahead of things like Google searches and things like that, and it is also very, very helpful. And just follow us all on the social medias. You've got your Facebooks, you've got your Instagrams, you've got your Twitters, you've got all that kind of stuff. Every single bit of it, we put different content on. It's not just the same stuff recycled over and over again. And if you want to get in touch with us for any reason whatsoever, you can get in touch with us on those socials or at DiceMenCometh at gmail.com. We've had many, many sponsors over the years, so if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities for the show or anything to that nature, that's where you can get a hold of us. Now, Back to the action. <laughs> oh, and a little language warning there at the end we didn't realise, which is going to have to go on the show the way that I edit this. Anyway, that was Terror Brawl with Who Stole My Pouch? A lovely, relaxing little jaunt there, mm. and they are indeed a Taziac. You are with The Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, and we're going to now talk about the big boys on Kickstarter at the moment. Yeah, and look, at least the you know the Power Brawl, whatever they were, have set the pace for a cracking Kickstarter finale. Yes. Now, Leon, this one made me think of you. Oh, lovely. It's the Isle of Cats, which is a bit like your house. Yeah. Um, So this is from Frank West from the UK. He uh, designed City of Kings, which was a big success recently. This is a card-drafting cat placement game. (laughs) Now, funnily enough, it looks to combine, if you believe me, aspects of Feast for Odin with Candy Crush. (laughs) Um, oh, but we've always compared those two, let's be with honest. With cats. Yeah. So it's got the, it's sort of, you're basically, you're going to this island, you're gathering cats. The cats, the cats are on tetrisy pieces and there's different types of cats. Oh, I do remember seeing this, yes. you're trying to basically fit the cats in your ship. Yeah. But of course, you want all the the same types of cats to be together. Yeah. Because you get bonus points. So that, for me, was like the little Candy Crush thing of trying to make the colours go together. But your whole ship is this Tetrisy Feast for Odin-type puzzle. Look, it looks a lot of fun. Um, it's raised a lot of money. It's raised <laughs> over 300000 which is... a. 1,100% funded. Mm. It's still got 21 days to go. But it's got over 3,000 backers. It's got some gorgeous art. And Leon, Yeah, it's got cat meeples. It certainly does. So it is a bit on the more expensive it side. Is, However, yes. I'll give them props. Cat meeples. I saw, I, well, cat meeples, yeah. <laughs> but I saw the number for the price and I went, okay, let's pr- press on pledge and see that nasty shipping. Only £6 shipping on a £50 game. Wow. That's what I want to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every Kickstarter, find out how this geezer's done it. So what, what's that make it? About $100 Australian, including shipping. That's yeah. not too bad. So seeing the price, I went a little bit for what it is, and yeah. then seeing the shipping on top of it, you'd nearly go, yeah, okay. And yeah. Oh, now that you said there's cat meeples, I mean... To be fair, if Dice Wife is home listening, yeah, she's, yeah. she's already pressed the button for me. <laughs> so thanks very much for that. Okay, no worries. Well, another one you know all about is yeah. Role Player Fiends and Familiars. So this yeah. is obviously the new expansion for Role Player by Keith Mataker and Thunderworks Games. Now, again, it's raised over 500,000. Yeah. It's got 12 days to go. Now, Look, I don't know about you, mm-hmm. it seems a bit pricey. It certainly is. Me and Garth have done a, a special little deal to make it <laughs> not as bad for us because we were. I haven't got any of this. Garth had the original and the expansion, yep. and I was going to back the whole lot. And then I looked at it, and that was going to cost me well in the realm of mid-200s to near 300 Australian. Wow. And then I thought, hang on, Googled a cheeky, you know, some of the people like our polymorphs and our people that we buy games off mm-hmm. online and went... I could buy the base game and the expansion for, like, delivered to my door for, like, 140 Yes. So they're saying this expansion, which does also come with a big box that you can yeah. put everything in, are they trying to tell me that that's 160 $100, odd dollars? Yeah. No. So what I'm going to do is just buy Garth's copy, because he doesn't care as long as somebody in Tassie has a copy, and I'll just get the expansion and the box myself. Yeah, and... <laughs> but the, still, it ain't cheap. Well, because we, we love the base game. Oh, yeah, it's and great. Th- but then the first expansion, the Monsters of Midians, I think it was. Yep. We weren't that fussed about it. It didn't feel like it added that much. 
Obviously, this one seems to add a lot more. Yeah, there's heaps of different bibs and bobs, and it adds to the previous expansions. Yeah. And when I actually played this for the first time, I played with the, the monsters already in it. So yes. for me, that is the base okay. game, in my opinion, and I wouldn't consider playing without it. So it's not a necessary expansion, but it's not a bad yeah. one. And this ne- this new one does look good, and as I said, comes with a big box, which either implies that they're near finished, yeah. the idea of this, and maybe there might be one more small one, if not. Okay. But it's worth a crack for anyone that's interested in this kind of thing. It's Sagrada... But with making D and D characters, yeah. which is, and you can actually use them in a D and D campaign there afterwards. Um, so as I said, it's got twelve days to go, so don't waste your time if you want to get on that. Yep. Another one, I'm not sure if you've heard of Madara Unintentional Malum. Now, you might think, hang on, I've heard that name before, and that's because this is a trilogy. Yeah. So the first game came out quite a while back to a lot of success. It's J- Japan, what do they call it? JRPG-inspired yep. alternate fantasy world board game with a unique strategic experience, blending over 400 unique illustrations with a narrative that spans a length of four novels worth of content. That's a quote direct from the site. So there's a lot of stuff happening there. Now, it's still got 20 days to go. It's got over 9,000 backers. Yeah, see, I saw this... The- the first day that it popped up and I clicked on it because let's face it the components and the art for this are a solid 15 out of 10 yes. they are amazing looking and would you know they'd be sit on the shelf next to anything and blow it out mm-hmm. of the water and then I looked at the stretch goals and went to be honest I had never have heard of this even though it is kind of right up my alley yeah and then I looked at the stretch goals and the stretch goals were in like the millions yep. and I thought who are these people kidding? I know it looks amazing, <laughs> but come on. Yeah. That being said, it has raised how much? Well, it's almost 3 million Australian now, which is a bit over 2 million um, US, I think. So clearly a lot of people that aren't us. So if any of our listeners out there that have got this previously and are big into it, please drop us a message so yeah, we can so. find out more about it because I'd love to know that something can be this successful well, this quickly. I mean, this is more successful straight away than like a rising sun or yep. it's nearly on the equivalent of like a Batman. Batman, for God's sake. But here's the thing, though. So to buy the whole lot, so it's effectively three games. Yeah. To buy the whole lot, it's almost 400 Australian dollars plus shipping, which is about another $35, plus I think there are add-ons. Yeah. I don't think that includes everything. That's a lot of money, but hey... So much stuff, and as you said, with the JRPG stuff, it is right up your alley. So what are you doing? Mm, uh, well, uh, what I'm doing is spending nearly that much <laughs> money on Bloodborne about a month and a half ago. So okay. I'm, I'm being sensitive. All right, now the lucky last one, I'm giving you some warning. Yeah. So Awaken Realms, who've produced This War of Mine, yes. Nemesis, yep. Lords of Hellas, uh, Tainted Grail being b- delivered to me later this year. They've got one coming on the 16th of July. So that's only 12 days from us recording. Yep. By the time you listen to this, it's probably almost launched. Called Etherfields or Aetherfields. It's described as a dream crawler. Right. So sort of like a dungeon crawler, but in a dream world, in a fantastical dream world. Of course... Absolutely amazing. Art. I mean, my God, those minis. The minis are just to die for. Yeah. The game design is Michael Orach, who was the game designer for This War of Mine, Nurishima Hex. Mm. Um, and the reason I'm giving you some warning is, just like they did with Nemesis and I'm not sure, and Tainted Grail, They've got a bonus mini yeah. that you can only get if you back it in the first 24 hours. And it looks amazing. Uh, the Thorn Knight. The, the minis in this are incredible. Yep. I mean, I, I'm really fascinated to get Tainted Grail. I didn't go all in for the big minis in that, which didn't really add anything to gameplay. No. But even the base minis look absolutely amazing. So the Etherfield, it doesn't launch until the 16th. Yeah. You can actually get onto the kind of mock Kickstarter now by going through Tainted Grail and looking at the last update. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now and, I mean, yes, I know minis don't make a good game, but... If they did, <laughs> this, this is the game of the yeah, year. It, look, it, it looks absolutely amazing. And as I yep. said, they've got a lot of runs on the board. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely going to be having a, looking at it, a look at it, although I don't know if I can afford it. No. But we'll wait and see. Leon? Yes. That is all we've got time all for. Oh, she wrote. Thank you so much for helping me out tonight. No worries. Um, Garth, who needs him? Nah, I don't know. Um, we hope that you can check out some of those things on Kickstarter, support yes. some of those Aussie projects, but most importantly, have fun playing games yes. and come back and listen to us next week. Indeed. Bye. Oh, yeah. This has been an edit of The Dice Men Cometh from Edge Radio 99.3 FM, Hobart's independent youth station. Find us on Facebook and edgeradio.org.au.